Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. It is October 31st, 2005. Welcome everybody to the Golden Age of Comic Books on Halloween. We're glad you're here this week. This is Bill Jourdain, your host. We've got a lot to talk about this week. We're going to talk about some scary comic books by one of the great horror artists of the Golden Age of Comics. Then we're going to turn our attention to the Golden Age Wonder Woman. Talk about her this week. So let's get on with the show. But before we get into some of the scary aspects of our show this week, I wanted to mention um, at the follow-up to last week's show about Plastic Man, one item that I needed to mention. And that is that within the last couple of weeks, the 7th Plastic Man DC Archives has come out. I want to thank Chris over at the Collected Comics Library podcast for bringing that to my attention. I said in last week's show that there had only been six Plastic Man archives, when in fact now there are seven. So if you're interested in reading about the Golden Age Plastic Man, there's a seventh DC Comics archive that has come out. Go check that out, and I know you'll enjoy it immensely. Now, I want to talk about horror comics a little bit. Uh, It's not the main focus of our show this week, but I do want to talk about that just a little bit. If you recall, in our seventh podcast that was broadcast for the first time on July 16th, 2005, we spent the entire podcast talking about EC horror comics. And if you're interested in learning a little bit about the horror comics of EC, which would be considered the primary horror comics probably of the uh, late golden age of comics, then check out our seventh podcast that was broadcast on July 16th. You can go to uh, the blog page, goldenagecomics.libsyn.com. Over on the right-hand side, you'll find a calendar. Click on July. Look for the July 16th podcast. Click on that. And you can download or simply click on the link and listen to that podcast. But in that podcast, I talk all about the EC horror comic books. I talk about uh, the various EC artists who were just fantastic at drawing the classic EC horror books. And I also mentioned in that podcast a lot about the Senate hearings that led in some part to the demise of comic books in the 1950s. Of course, we talk also in that podcast about Dr. Frederick Wortham and his role in the destruction of some of the comic books. I know there's been some disagreement. I was talking to my friend uh, AJ at the Fantasy Factory, the comic book store here in my hometown. And uh, AJ, of course, believes that Some of the demise of the comic books in the 1950s, late 40s, early 50s was due to the publishers themselves as opposed to efforts of people like Frederick Wortham and Estes Kefauver, the senator from Tennessee who led the charge in the Senate hearings about crime and horror comics. But whatever you believe, I think if you'll check out the uh, 7th podcast, the July 16, 2005 podcast, you'll learn a lot about the EC horror comic books and the Senate hearings and the efforts of Frederick Wortham to destroy the comics of the day. So if you want to learn a little bit about horror comics on Halloween, check that uh, previous podcast out. But what I wanted to talk about today was another aspect of the horror comics from the late golden age of comics. Now, after EC published the first horror comics in the late 40s, Many publishers jumped on the bandwagon and began publishing horror comics of their own. And I think if you look at all of the publications of the late golden age of comics, you'll find innumerable horror comics that were published. But today I wanted to mention one of the companies that published 
some of the most memorable horror covers and comic book stories of the day. And that was a company called Star Comics, and the main cover artist and I believe the owner of that company was a gentleman named L.B. Cole. L.B. Cole uh, created some of the most vivid and gruesome horror covers on comic books during the late golden age that you'll ever see. Now, of course, this is an audio broadcast, so it's very difficult for me to describe for you um, on this podcast exactly what those covers look like. But let me tell you that they are some of the um, some of the best drawn and some of the most gruesome covers that you'll see in the golden age of comic books. Uh, very vivid, very bright colors, and very gruesome indeed. So if you want to check out the covers of L.B. Cole... Go over to the Grand Comic Book Database Project website at comics.org and do a search for some of the comics that I'm going to mention here in just a minute. And I think you will find they are quite fitting for the Halloween holiday that is upon us in the United States and in some of the other countries. So if you want to check out some um, Halloween-themed or horror-themed covers, check out some of these from L.B. Cole. Some of those were Blue Bolt, Weird Tales of Terror, Ghostly Weird Stories. That title actually started out as Weird Stories, but changed its name probably because there was a pulp magazine called Weird Stories at the time, and the comic was changed to Ghostly Weird Stories. Another horror comic published by Star Comics with just great L.B. Cole covers was Startling Terror Tales. Another is Terrifying Tales. Terrors of the Jungle, which was really a jungle comic but had some horror uh, covers as well, and then Horrors of Mystery. So if you're interested in looking at some very, very graphic and very representative L.B. Cole horror covers, check out the titles that I've mentioned. Now, L.B. Cole was credited, or has been credited, with over 1,500 comic book covers during the late golden age of comics. So a lot of his work is out there, and all of the comics upon which his covers appear do tend to bring a higher price in the collector's market due to the uh, uh, the really fine uh, artwork that uh, those covers encompassed. Even though they were a bit gruesome and a bit graphic, they really were uh, just a great artistic endeavor. So I would encourage you, if you're interested during this Halloween time in looking at some of the horror comics, check out, of course, the EC comics that we talk about in our podcast number 7 from July 16, 2005, Tales from the Crypt, The Haunt of Fear, and so on and so forth. And also check out some of the L.B. Cole covers on the Star Comics magazines that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. And I think you'll find that they are very representative of the horror comics that uh, were very prevalent on the newsstands during the late golden age of comics. Of course, Star Comics and EC weren't alone in publishing horror comics. There were many other publishers out there, and you can find many examples of those comics, I'm sure, on the web, and in other sources. All right, well, let's focus our attention now on Wonder Woman. We've covered uh, a lot of the other great superheroes of the Golden Age of Comics, but we've not covered Wonder Woman yet, so let's talk about her today in the 22nd installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. Wonder Woman was the creation of a noted psychologist whose name was William Moulton Marston. Now, Marston used a pen name, Charles Moulton, to author the Wonder Woman features that appeared. In fact, he authored most of the Wonder Woman 
features that appeared in uh, the various titles all the way through 1947, the year of his death. Not only was Marston a noted psychologist of the time, but he was also known as the individual who perfected the testing system for the lie detector. So those of you who might be involved in criminology or law enforcement, if you uh, deal at all with lie detector tests, you can owe uh, a debt of gratitude to William Moulton Marston for being one of the inventors and creators of that particular system. But in the uh, early 1940s, Marston had been hired by uh, Max Gaines, who was, of course, the father of Bill Gaines, who later created EC Comics that we talked about a few minutes ago, and told him that he thought there was a need for a woman-costumed superhero who would be as strong as the male-costumed superheroes. Gaines was at first a little unsure whether a, a title like that or a character like that would actually work and sell comics, but later agreed to do so. And so, in the pages of All-Star Comics, Molston, or actually uh, Marston, I should say, uh, authored the very first story and appearance of Wonder Woman. And the artwork was done by a gentleman named H.G. Peter, who actually uh, drew most of the Wonder Woman stories all the way through his death in 1958. But in the pages of All-Star Comics number 8, that was the December 1941 January 1942 issue, the first part of the origin of Wonder Woman appeared. Now, before I talk about the origin story from All-Star Comics number 8 that was later continued in Sensation Comics number 1, I wanted to talk a little bit about Greek mythology because the Wonder Woman character was actually founded in Greek mythology. Apparently, Marston was a student of Greek mythology and founded his superhero, Wonder Woman, in the story found in Greek mythology of Hercules and the Amazonian queen Hippolyte. Now, the story as told by Marston involves Hercules and Hippolyte um, getting together and Hercules ultimately stealing the magical girdle of Hippolyte. Well, that's not really what happened in Greek mythology. Now, let me just say I don't profess to be an expert on Greek mythology. I'm not a student of it, and I didn't study it uh, in my school days. But doing a little bit of research, I have come to the conclusion that what Marston really did was create for us sort of an Elseworlds version of Greek mythology when he tells the tale of Hippolyte and Hercules. Now, my research reveals that the, uh, the real story with Hippolyte and Hercules involved the Twelve Labors of Hercules, and the episode with Hippolyte actually was the Ninth Labor of Hercules. And in the Ninth Labor of Hercules in Greek mythology, Hercules set out to uh, take the belt that was owned by Queen Hippolyte of the Amazons and give it um, to uh, the individual who had sent him on his task. The belt had been given to Queen Hippolyte as a gift by the war god Ares, and she utilized the belt. It was uh, leather, and it held her sword and her spear. And with the belt that was given to her by the war god Ares, she was unbeatable in battle. 
So Hercules set out to steal this belt and through a series of subterfuge um, persuaded Hippolyte to trust him and in a moment of trust uh, she let her guard down and Hercules actually killed Hippolyte as the Amazonian warriors were descending upon Hercules and his, uh, his troops. And he stole the belt and got away with it and killed Hippolyte, and that was the end of, of the story of the ninth labor of Hercules. Now, again, I'm no expert on Greek mythology, and I'll bet I'll get a bunch of emails correcting some of this, but that's the gist of it as I understand it. Well, if you turn to the pages of All-Star Comics number 8, the very first appearance of Wonder Woman, which was, by the way, a backup story to the um, Justice Society of America story that appeared in that issue, um, Wonder Woman was created a little bit differently, but very similar to the story of Hercules and Hippolyte. So let's discuss that now. In that story, which begins on Paradise Island, a plane crashes and two beautiful Amazonian women see the plane crash and go to the rescue of the pilot. One of those beautiful women is the princess of Paradise Island, the daughter of Queen Hippolyte. And they find a blonde-headed man in the wreckage of the plane, and they take him to the infirmary in Paradise Island. Of course, as they're carrying the man through the streets of Paradise Island, all of the other women are exclaiming, there's a man on Paradise Island. How can this be? And as it turns out, there has never been a man who has set foot on Paradise Island until now. And the princess, whose name is not known at this time, takes a very uh, keen interest, a love interest, if you will, in this man, who turns out to be Captain Stephen Trevor. He is a U.S. Army Intelligence Service officer uh, during uh, the war efforts of the United States. And so the doctor or the healer who is involved in taking care of uh, Steve Trevor goes to Queen Hippolyte and tells her, that she's concerned not about the condition of Mr. Trevor, who will likely recover from his injuries, but she is concerned with the actions of the princess, who has developed a very keen interest and probably a love interest in this man. And the queen indicates that she is quite concerned about this and decides that she will take steps to deal with this situation herself. And so she calls her daughter, the princess, to the royal chambers and proceeds to tell her the story of how Queen Hippolyte and the Amazonian women got to Paradise Island. Now, this is a story that is somewhat similar, but not quite, to the Greek mythology that I mentioned a few minutes ago. And in this particular story, as told by Queen Hippolyte, which is, by the way, a text feature in the middle of the Wonder Woman origin story in All-Star Comics number 8, and in the text feature, it talks about Hercules uh, being defeated by Queen Hippolyte and then Hercules taking advantage of the queen later and stealing the queen's magic girdle, which had been a gift to her, not by the war god Ares, but by the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And it was said that while Queen Hippolyte is wearing the magic girdle, she could not be defeated by any man. Well, with the removal of the girdle by Hercules, the Amazonian women are enslaved and live in slavery for some period of time until Queen Hippolyte pleads to Aphrodite for assistance 
and through the sequence of events that occur, they are able to break through their bonds and flee their slavery and defeat the men and steal their ships and travel to Paradise Island where they, where they will remain uh, without men on the island for the remainder of their time. And while they retain the magic girdle of Queen Hippolyte, they will be immortals and they will never grow old. And so, during the course of this revelation to the princess, Queen Hippolyte also tells the princess about the magic spear that she was given by Aphrodite that lets her look into the world of men and the world around her, and that that allowed her to create wonderful inventions that were more technologically advanced than the world around them. And so, she shows her daughter, the princess, with this uh, magic device uh, what had happened with Steve Trevor and how he came to their island in the first place, almost a television set showing the past. And the, the scene shifts in the story, and it shows us how Steve Trevor, the captain in the military intelligence service, is on to a gang of spies and encourages his commanding officer to allow him to go after the spies. The commanding officer is somewhat hesitant because he doesn't want to lose his best man, to these spies, but he relents and Trevor goes after them and uh, jumps onto the sideboard of their car and puts a gun through the window and tells them to pull over. Well, they crash him into a tree and they capture him and they put him into a plane that is uh, remote controlled, a robot plane. And their, their intent is to use Trevor in the robot plane uh, to bomb American interest. And so they begin releasing bombs while Trevor is unconscious and the robot plane he comes to and attempts to take over the plane and use it to shoot down the enemies. And in the course of all of this, he ends up crashing onto Paradise Island, where, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, he is found and rescued by the princess and one of her friends. Well, after uh, showing the princess this, the queen indicates that she must um, consult with the goddess Aphrodite to determine exactly what's going to happen uh, and what she needs to do. She also consults with Athena. And as they consult, it is clear that they want the queen to return Trevor to the world of men so that he can continue his fight of oppression during World War II. And they also tell the queen that it's important that she sends back from Paradise Island a champion a woman who will go among men and champion the cause of truth and justice, but that to do that she must choose the best warrior from her group of Amazonian women. And so the queen decides to have a contest to select the best warrior to send back with Trevor to the world of men. But she forbids her daughter, the princess, to participate because she says she could not bear to be without her daughter because the person who is going to go into the world of men can never return to Paradise Island. And so the competition begins and lo and behold someone shows up wearing a mask that would be contestant number seven in the competition and refuses to remove her mask and of course this person looks very similar to the princess. And as the contest begins it is pretty clear that contestant number seven is the fastest Contestant number seven is the strongest, and at the end of the contest, they engage in what is called bullets and bracelets. Each of the Amazonian women are wearing bracelets, 
That's not explained in this story. It will be explained in another origin story that I'll mention to you in just a little while. But the contest, Bullets and Bracelets, involves, as you might imagine, each of the contestants, the two of them, the two finalists, each have handguns, and they fire at each other, and they are required to reflect the bullets with their bracelets. If ever you've seen any Wonder Woman comic book or Wonder Woman in any uh, television show, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so the contest begins, and contestant number seven, of course, is victorious in deflecting the five bullets that are fired her way, and the runner-up is not and is wounded by a bullet fired by contestant number seven. And at the end of the story that appears, the first Wonder Woman story in All-Star Comics number eight, it is revealed to the queen that contestant number seven is in fact her daughter, the princess. And she realizes that her daughter is the champion and that she must let her daughter go into the world of men. And she gives her a costume that she has fashioned herself, which is the familiar costume of Wonder Woman. The blue skirt with the white stars, the red top with the gold eagle, the red boots with the white trim, and the gold tiara with the red star in the center. And so as Wonder Woman, as she is going to be called, has put on her costume, her new costume that her mother has provided her, Queen Hippolyte, the Queen also tells her that you must have a name, and the name that you will adopt is Diana, after your godmother, the goddess of the moon. And so Diana, the princess from Paradise Island, the daughter of Queen Hippolyte, becomes Wonder Woman, at the end of the story in All-Star Comics number 8. But that's not the end of the origin of Wonder Woman. In fact, the origin continues on into a brand new title that was launched by DC at that time, and that title was called Sensation Comics. And the very first issue of Sensation Comics appeared on the newsstands in January of 1942, just a month after the appearance of All-Star Comics number 8 on the newsstands. And the action is picked up in Sensation Comics number one with the next Wonder Woman story, of course attributed to Charles Moulton. And in this story we see Wonder Woman in her new costume flying her invisible plane, or they call it a silent transparent plane in this first story, but it is invisible to the human eye. And along with her in the plane is Captain Trevor, who is still bandaged and uh, covered, lying on a, a, a gurney in the plane. And he awakens during the flight and sees Wonder Woman and believes that he's in heaven and that he is being smiled upon by a beautiful angel. And then he faints again, and she finally manages to reach none other than Washington, D.C., in the capital of the United States, and lands her plane close to a deserted barn, which she decides would be a good place for a hideout. And she picks up Steve Trevor in her arms and carries him to a hospital and tells him that uh, Captain Trevor of the Army Intelligence Office has a brain concussion and must be taken care of. And she runs out the door out into the street. Now, she's not trying to hide very much at this point, and she's wandering through the street, and people are commenting on her clothing, and people are commenting on her looks, and as she's wandering through the street and looking at the sights, she sees a holdup, and she jumps into action 
and foils to hold up with great strength and her bullets and bracelets routine and helps the police apprehend these particular crooks. And then as she is walking down the street, uh, a man in a convertible begins chasing her down with his car and she runs faster and faster and finally he's able to overtake her even though she's running almost faster than he can drive his car. And he makes her a business proposition. He wants her to come and perform the bullets and bracelets uh, routine in a live theater show. And because she's really killing time waiting for Steve Trevor to recover, she decides to go ahead and do that. And so it turns out that the man who is actually the uh, promoter of the show is a crook. And after she decides she doesn't want to do the show anymore, he decides to steal all the money. And, of course, he captures her captures him for the theft and uh, turns him over to the police. And after this happens, she goes back to the hospital to check on Trevor. And sitting on the front steps of the hospital is a nurse who is crying. Now, this nurse looks very familiar. And why is that? Well, she looks just like Wonder Woman. And as Wonder Woman asks her what, what's wrong, the nurse tells her that, that her fiancé has taken a job in South America, but there's not enough money for her to go to join him. And Wonder Woman says, well, this gives me a great opportunity to take over the job from this nurse so that I can be closer to Trevor. And she says, you know, when you take your glasses off, you look a whole lot like me. And so she gives the woman a lot of money to exchange identities with her. And it turns out that the woman's name, the nurse, is Diana Prince. And Diana Prince becomes a nurse in this story in Sensation Comics number one, and once again uh, is close to Steve Trevor. Now, later in the story, Trevor gets out of the hospital on his own accord, uh, not on doctor's orders, and uh, goes after some additional saboteurs and spies. And of course, Wonder Woman comes to his rescue, as always, in so many of these Golden Age Wonder Woman stories and saves the day. And uh, the story continues with Wonder Woman and Trevor fighting for truth and justice. And at the end of the story, Trevor once again is injured, breaks his leg, is put back in the hospital, and once again Diana Prince is assigned to be his nurse. And that's how the the first uh, story in Sensation Comics of Wonder Woman ends, and that is the end of the origin story, the two-parter that began in All-Star Comics number 8 and concluded in Sensation Comics number one. Now, after these initial first two appearances in the origin story of Wonder Woman, she became a sensational hit, no pun intended, for DC Comics at that time, and one of the main characters behind Batman and Superman. And Wonder Woman appeared in Sensation Comics, as I said, starting with number one, until issue number 106, which was her last appearance in that title. And that title came to an end three issues later with issue number 109. That was the May-June 1952 issue. So Wonder Woman ceased to exist in Sensation Comics in the early 1950s. But that wasn't all. Wonder Woman also got, as so many of the popular superheroes did, her own title. And Wonder Woman number one first appeared in the summer of 1942, just a few months after her first appearance in All-Star No. 8 and Sensation No. 1. Wonder Woman comics continued all the way through issue number 329 in 1986, and then 
a year later, DC picked the title back up with new numbering with Wonder Woman number one, another series, the second series that began in February of 1987. What was interesting about the Wonder Woman title, Wonder Woman number one told a, another origin for Wonder Woman, a whole new origin story. Now, it was very similar to the origin that had appeared in All-Star Comics number eight that continued on into Sensation Comics number one, but it had a lot more detail included in it and told a lot more of the story that was only text in All-Star Comics number eight that is now fleshed out in some detail in Wonder Woman number one. So if you're very interested in learning about the exact details of the origin of Wonder Woman as told in the comics, then I would encourage you not only to read All-Star Comics number eight, but Wonder Woman number one as well. I won't go into all those additional details. You can get a reprint of that particular comic and read it for yourself, but it is very similar, but with a lot more detail. Now, Wonder Woman also appeared in Comic Cavalcade. I've talked about that particular comic in a previous podcast. In fact, recently DC has issued a Comic Cavalcade archive. That uh, title began in the winter of 1942-43, and Wonder Woman's last appearance in that title was in issue number 29. That was the October-November 1948 issue, and then with issue number 30 of Comic Cavalcade, it became a funny animal title which ceased to uh, exist with number 63 in June and July of 1954. Of course, the other main title in which Wonder Woman appeared was in All-Star Comics, but not in solo appearances, but as a member of the Justice Society of America. And with All-Star Comics number 11, Wonder Woman began her regular appearances, first as the secretary of the JSA and later as a regular contributing member of the JSA. And I'm not going to go into all of those appearances in this podcast because in one of the previous podcasts, I went into great detail about the adventures of the JSA, including the Wonder Woman appearances in that particular title. Now, some notable events that occurred in the life of Wonder Woman in the various titles in which she appeared. Of course, as I mentioned, Steve Trevor, who was her main love interest over many years, first appeared with her in All-Star Comics number 8. Her Invisible Plane made its first appearance in Sensation Comics number one. Of course, the famous bracelets with which she deflected bullets first appeared in her story in All Star Comics number eight. Her Invisible Plane first appeared in Sensation Comics number one, and there were origin stories told of the Invisible Plane in subsequent issues. Her sidekick more or less. Now Wonder Woman really didn't have a sidekick per se. She didn't have a uh, a young Wonder Woman type girl that ran around with her like Robin did with Batman or Speedy did with Green Arrow or Bucky did with Captain America. But she had some helpers uh, who were led by a woman named Etta Candy. Etta Candy first appeared in Sensation Comics number two not as a sidekick, but as a helper, along with many other women who went to school with Etta Candy at the Holiday College for Women, and they appeared in many Wonder Woman adventures throughout the course of the golden age of comic books. In Sensation Comics number four, Wonder Woman ceased to be a nurse and began her role as a secretary to Steve Trevor, and she was a secretary in the comics from that point forward. And, of course, one of the other major 
items utilized by Wonder Woman in her fight of crime was her golden lasso or her magic lasso. And it first appeared in Sensation Comics number six, and then later on in the pages of Wonder Woman, a slightly different origin was told of this particular device. So those, uh, those main items of Wonder Woman first appeared very early in her adventures, both in Sensation Comics and in Wonder Woman comics. Now, I've talked about in most of my podcast how the Golden Age characters ceased to exist in the Golden Age of comics. When were their last appearances? And when did they first appear later on in the Silver Age or even later than that? Well, I can't really tell you that for Wonder Woman because she never really stopped appearing in comics after the Golden Age of comics. Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman were the three DC Comics superheroes that had continuous appearances in comics from the Golden Age and their first appearances all the way through the modern age of comics, even through today. So Wonder Woman didn't have an official new Silver Age appearance, although if you look at the Overstreet comic book price guide and some of the other sources about Wonder Woman on the web, they will tell you that she had a first Silver Age appearance and that her origin was greatly revamped and retold in the Silver Age of comics. And that is true, and that did occur, but she never ceased publication all the way through the Golden Age and Silver Age of comics because she was one of DC's most successful and popular superheroes. The Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide calls issue number 85 of Wonder Woman comics the first Silver Age appearance, and then it talks about, with issue number 98, a new origin and a new art team, Andrew and Esposito, who began their chores of uh, working on Wonder Woman in May of 1958. So a new origin with new facts was told of Wonder Woman at that time, and that's probably when the Silver Age Wonder Woman, if you will, would have come into being. But as I said, Wonder Woman continued on as a regular character for DC, as did Superman and Batman all throughout the Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze, and into the Modern Age of comics, and continues in publication even to this day. Now, if you're interested in reading some of the Golden Age Wonder Woman stories, there's a great place to go, and of course, that is a DC Comics Archive series. DC has published several Wonder Woman archives. I'm not sure of the exact number that have been published, and if you're interested in learning that information, I bet you can go over to uh, the Collected Comic Library podcast. Chris does a great job of keeping us all up to date on what archives and masterworks and trades have been published and what are about to be published. So take a look over at uh, Chris's website, and you'll probably be able to figure out how many Wonder Woman archives have been published, and maybe he'll mention that on his next podcast. But several have been published, including volume number one that contains the origin stories that I've mentioned both in All-Star 8, Sensation 1, and in Wonder Woman number 1. Now, there are also other reprints of Golden Age Wonder Woman stories that appear in various DC comics over the years, including the uh, uh, limited edition series, the large oversized series that were published by uh, DC. Also, there was a Wonder Woman from the 40s to the 70s book. Chris at uh, the Collected Comics Library podcast has talked about that recently where a number of Wonder Woman stories from the beginning through the 70s were reprinted. Now, if you're interested in learning about Wonder Woman and all of the supporting characters, there's another source. I've talked about this before in a previous podcast, 
and that is the Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes, Volume 2, that was published by Michael L. Fleischer in 1976. If you take a look at this particular book, it's not in publication anymore, but you can probably find it at comic book shows or on eBay. It'll give you a very, very detailed history of all of the Wonder Woman supporting character appearances uh, throughout the golden age of comic books. So if you're interested in really learning a whole lot about Wonder Woman, check out the Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes, Volume 2, that was put out by Michael Fleischer in 1976. You know, it's kind of difficult to tackle in a 30-minute podcast a character such as Wonder Woman who has such a, a rich history and so many appearances and who continues to be published even to this day. So I've done uh, what I think is a pretty good summary of her Golden Age existence, her origin, and the books in which she appeared. But there are so many more sources available for Wonder Woman history on the web. Of course, you can go to the Grand Comic Book Database Project website at comics.org and look at a bunch of the old Wonder Woman covers from the Golden Age of comics and on up to the present, and you'll learn a whole lot more about Wonder Woman doing that. So I hope you have learned a little bit about the Golden Age Wonder Woman today, certainly one of the very uh, most important characters of the Golden Age of comics, one of the most enduring characters for DC Comics, throughout the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and the Modern Age of Comics. Well, that's going to do it for this week on the 22nd installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books and on Halloween. Hopefully you've enjoyed learning a little bit about the great L.B. Cole and some of the very wonderful and ghastly comic book covers that he created in the late golden age of comics during the height of the horror comics craze. I also hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about the golden age Wonder Woman, where she got her origin, where she began, and where she appeared throughout comic books in the golden age of comics. So I hope everybody has a great week this week. Get out there and look for some of the golden age Wonder Woman reprints. I think you'll find them real interesting. It's always kind of... uh, uh, an adventure to go back and look at the origins of some of the the big uh, pop culture icons in uh, in our society. It's fun to go back and see where they got their start and how they progressed over the years. So hopefully you'll get out there and find some Wonder Woman Golden Age reprints. Check them out, and I know you'll enjoy them greatly. As always, please drop us an email at goldenagecomics at gmail.com. I've appreciated and enjoyed getting a number of emails over the last several weeks, and uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for sending your comments and your questions in those emails. Please visit the blog page at goldenagecomics.libsyn.com. That's where a lot of folks have left comments about the various podcasts that we've done. You'll find cover images for the podcast of the week there, among other interesting information. So check out the blog page. I've appreciated all the votes I've received at podcastalley.com. Well, it's the last day of the month, so a whole new month of voting starts up tomorrow. So if you voted in October, please take a couple of minutes and vote for November. A new month starts with new votes, and they reset all the vote counters, and so everything starts anew. So take a few minutes to head over to podcastalley.com, place a vote for the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast, and we will greatly appreciate it. 
Well, have a happy Halloween, everybody. Have a great week ahead. Thanks again for joining us, and we will look forward to talking to each of you next time.